Hey, everybody. It's Mike Carlson from Podcast the Ride. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Scott Gairdner. Hello. And Jason Sheridan. Hey. And we've got a little announcement. We sure do. Yep. We're launching our new podcast on an app called Spoke to give Spoke. you three exclusive episodes. Can you believe it? Three. I can't. Yeah. Don't don't believe it, but it's true. Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. Well, how does that work, though? Well, I'm going to explain. The Spoke team handpicks the best moments from tons of podcasts and creates playlists of clips so you can try a bunch of shows out and find something new to love. So they're all grouped by topics or themes is what you're saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. Thank you for figuring that out. Thank mm-hmm. you. I mean, you could try like a playlist that's uh, like about music being decoded when it's playlists with clips about unpacking and analyzing and figuring out how people make songs and what. why are they so cool, you know? They also have one uh, called Spoke's Perpetually Single Playlist, dedicated to podcasts about relationships, or lack thereof, in my case. Sure, Jason, don't put yourself down. I want to, I want to, all right. (laughs) (laughs) There's all sorts of things is what we're trying to say, and Spoke has, like, fun exclusive content from Feral, like our podcast. Uh, So you definitely don't want to miss these special episodes. Download Spoke now, free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of Podcast the Ride's exclusive Spoke episodes at hearspoke.com slash podcast the ride. That's the address. Uh, Check it out. Spoke. It's time to spoke. Yeah, we're spoken. Guys, finding quality denim jeans is tough. And to find a good pair without breaking the bank is just uh, almost impossible. But at Distilled, spelled D-S-T-L-D, you get, like, brand top quality jeans at a price that won't break your bank. And I know I said break the bank, but I like saying break the bank. And I'll say it again. Break the bank. But just go to distilled.com, D-S-T-L-D.com right now and use the promo code FERAL and check out and get a 20% discount on your first pair. And these are great jeans. I love them. I wear them all the time. Heck, I sleep in them. Distilled jeans. They're the best jean you're ever going to wear. In fact, I shower in them. Distilled jeans. D-S-T-L-D. They're good quality, super duper denim. And, you know, it's not going to cost you like $200 or $100. Go to distilled.com. D-S-T-L-D.com. Do it. Get some jeans. Look cool. Everybody, and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Hey, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Did I, I don't know if I said that sarcastically, but I actually mean it. Uh, if you like the theme music there, that's uh, from a band called Les Blanks. And uh, you can go to lesblanks.com, check out more of their music. And uh, if you uh, haven't listened to Conversations with Matt Dwyer before, it's just that. It's a conversation with uh, me. And it's just a free-flowing, free-form, sort of free-wheeling conversation. And, you know, less a uh, stiff question-and-answer type thing. We go in all kinds of directions. And also, there's a really uh, something really exciting I, I started doing. Really exciting. <laughs> what am I, on the Home Shopping Network? I got a real exciting uh, dog carrier here for twenty four ninety nine. But if you act now, you can get 15 dog carriers for $30. <laughs> Uh, boy, there's nothing more awful than having the fake sincerity of a guy who on the talks on the shopping home network thingy. But uh, I started a Tumblr page solely for this show. It's uh, conversationswithmattdwyer.tumblr.com, and it's sort of like a special features, but with uh, type, typed up words about each episode and some pictures, uh, just, you know, some of the backstory and some of the things that maybe got edited out or whatever. And uh, probably got a lot of typos. I'm just going to say that right now. Not a lot, but uh, I'm uh, I'm definitely not the uh, technical side of the brain. I'm the uh, I'm the creative side, where I just let things happen. Uh, so yeah, and uh, today I'm really excited about our guest. Uh, we have uh, Ryan Rice, who's an Occupy movement activist, and it's a really great episode. Uh, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But uh, Ryan, he's a really groovy guy. Uh, also, I've been thinking lately. I've come to this. I've come to this decision. I 
I need to own and wear more t-shirts that help advertise corporations because I'm worried. I'm really worried about a lot of corporations. I'm worried that, you know, I walk around in my neighborhood and I'm like, do these people know that a Gap exists? Maybe I need that Gap hoodie or that Old Navy sweatshirt. I'm and, and I need to, you know, I need to tell people, hey, maybe I like drinking Jägermeister and Guinness now and again. I'm going to wear this on my person. So, you know, and plus, besides, maybe the Gap, maybe they're hurting right now. Maybe, maybe, I know they care. I know these corporations care about me. Maybe I need to help them out. Why am, why am I not helping these guys out? You know, where's my, what am I doing to help corporate America grow and prosper? You know, and I can do that in a lot of ways. I can put bumper stickers on my car to help advertise radio shows or beer, you know. And speaking of which, <laughs> 247 million people shopped on Black Friday. Way to go, America. Way to consume. Way to just keep buying shit. Because you know what? I personally, I'm not happy unless I have a lot of clutter in my apartment and a lot. I, I'm embarrassed to say this. And I hope this doesn't affect the way you think about me. I only own one television. And it is embarrassing when my friends come over and I don't have a TV on my kitchen counter for when I'm chopping garlic. Uh, I'm upset that I don't have a TV in my bathroom. Because what if I miss a moment of Jersey Shore or something with Donald Trump, anything, any moment with Donald Trump missed is a, is, is a life missed, is how I view that. That's a life missed. I was having a conversation, too, with a friend the other day, and I don't know, I was just, I personally, I fucking hate reality television. I hate it. Uh, I think it's awful. I think it propagates, uh, the, it, it's, it, it, it spreads the idea that we should all be famous and that and to consume and to fuck over people to to get what you need that's the messages that come from most reality television shows uh and my friend was like yeah but you know jersey shore is pretty entertaining and i was like I was like yeah you know what they said that about the coliseum in rome like hey it's just some people getting eaten by lions and tigers it's not it's just enter it's good it's good entertainment it's just wholesome good enter and uh just in case you didn't notice people like rome we are to an empire and all empires uh cease to exist the only difference about ancient rome's empire and ours is rome wasn't depleted of natural resources so when we fucking crumble it's gonna get really fun <laughs> uh that's a that's a cheerful thought to uh sort of wind down my intro to the show but i will say this uh tyranny they can they can oppress they can oppress people but they can't oppress hope and love huh can't oppress you can't oppress the human spirit and and if you look in the history books or in you never see the you don't no one quotes the uh, speeches of the fucking oppressors and the weirdos and the radicals or, well, not the radicals. We, I'm a radical, <laughs> and but I mean, but uh, we uh, we quote the we we quote the poets and the and the writers and the uh, revolutionaries. Um, so there's that. There's hope, everybody. And speaking of hope, this is a conversation that you're about to hear with uh, Ryan Rice of the Occupy Movement, and I think they're doing a lot of really great radical things. I think a lot of people are still a little unaware of what the. Um, what the Occupy movement has been doing. And it's pretty inspiring and it's a really great conversation. I hope you enjoy. I'm sitting in uh, my kitchen uh, with uh, Ryan Rice. Uh, would you describe yourself as an activist with the Occupy movement? or? Uh, yeah, I would say that's fair. Um, Occupy is a very fluid thing, as we're finding out, having come upon the... The one-year anniversary, but yeah, I would identify as an occupier for sure. Uh, it's there's because occupy is a kind of a constant theme in my show, and and I like to bring it up to a lot of different political activists just to get different people's takes. And I think, I mean, there's 
kind of a lot of would you say there's still a lot of confusion of what it is exactly um i would say that's fair if if people are still looking in um i think if people are participating they know exactly what it is um and that is because it's a very personal thing it's it's kind of resistance against the status quo against the dominant narrative and people have come to find different entry points with with that with, with what occupy is so whether it's foreclosures or street medic stuff and healthcare or fighting the drug war or any of these types of things, it's all under this umbrella of Occupy, which may seem confusing to the outside. Right. I think this is what a lot of people, and I, I don't know if this is an element of the Occupy movement that you're tired of talking about, but like there was a lot of people who criticized it because it was like, what are they about? And there's no face to this movement. And which is in a, like some people, I think that's kind of great because it's like you can't really peg one dude and take him down. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the uh, the security component to not having a leader is a whole another conversation. But I think as far as people looking at it and having the critique of what it is about, why, why is there no leader? Um, that does, again, come, come from a place of, of viewing a very, very much participatory movement from the outside. Um, I think the people that have that have gotten involved, because I feel like most people know what it is generally against. It is against money and politics. And the idea of the idea of the ninety nine percent, I think, is something that people can can grasp a hold of pretty pretty easily. But uh, ultimately, that's kind of an entry point into this movement that requires kind of getting your hands dirty. And I think that component is what is confusing to people, not so much the critiques of what it isn't. You know, it's leaderless or it doesn't have a message. Right. I think those are kind of masking the the kind of. Um, the inability to get your hands dirty, I guess. Yeah, because, I mean, you definitely, the movement, I, I, from what, it changed the dialogue of things in this country. I mean, no, very few people were aware of the 99%, I would say. And now that's, like, you even see that kind of, like, it's kind of grotesque, but I've seen it in commercials. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen vodka <laughs> advertisements for, uh, you know, it's as, as affordable for the 99%, but good enough for the one or something like that. That's, uh... We should burn that place down. <laughs> You're nonviolent, I know. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting because people were saying that, oh, d d nice effort is a lot of thing I heard. And then it's like suddenly there's a uh, the thing with uh, where they're buying people's debts and not mm -hmm. – like that's pretty amazing. It, and that the, the things that you guys are doing are pretty fucking revolutionary in, in my opinion they are they are and that buying the rolling jubilee program is is something that has gotten a lot of headlines and it's made people realize just how kind of fictional debt actually is and and <laughs> I, that's i love that because it is it's like go it, fuck it is it, it's an absolute fiction and, and debt jubilees you know we saw the banks get one um with the last recession that was essentially a debt jubilee for them you know because debt doesn't matter and it's only it only matters for the working poor, for the working class that are subjected to tuition debt and credit card debt and homeowner debt and all these things that the rich aren't. So it, it really is a fiction. But yeah, that's just one fight of many of what of what occupiers, quote unquote, are doing. Um, I've been involved a lot with the foreclosure stuff. I've been a lot involved with um, <clears throat> raising, I guess, the the citywide awareness of the Central City Association, which is kind of this microcosm of of Wall Street uh, here in Los Angeles. They're the lobby that runs city council and all that. But yeah, but to say Occupy is going in many directions, many of which are revolutionary, is, is very true. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because people, like Martin Luther King wasn't just about civil rights. I mean, he also was about the poor. He was like about a lot of other things, but people kind of forget that these movements are, have often been multifaceted, and it's just, I feel like... Well, it's, you know, it's it's not even, you know, here's the conspiracist coming out in me. I, I don't think it's that people forget. I think it's that people are not being taught just how dynamic the civil rights era was, and just how, what, how multifaceted what Martin Luther King Jr. stood for. You know, he was an anti-capitalist. He was against the war in Vietnam, that escalation. So we're taught that you know he's mostly he's mo was mostly a civil rights person. You know we're not taught the most, the the fact that he was very much anti-capitalist because you know look who's teaching us. <laughs> yes, and I don't think that's I don't think that's being a uh, conspiracy theorist went because it's like that's actually there's truth mm -hmm. in a lot of con conspiracy theories. Some are based in truth, but some are total 
crazy. Well, times. yeah, it's some are based in truth, most are based in truth, um, and also because of you know the system that dominates everything, capitalism. These these conspiracies are natural. You know, they're a natural progression out of out of wealth being concentrated to the top. So that, so they're not they're not all that crazy. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of that's the speculation that the one of the real reasons Martin Luther King was assassinated because he was he was rallying the poor. It wasn't mm-hmm. and. I think they got real fucking scared. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the real reasons a lot of people were assassinated during that time was because they were bridging communities. Um, they were they were bridging struggles, and I think that's a, a really interesting component to occupy. Is that it attempted is attempting to do that to once again kind of bridge these struggles to make people realize that environmental fights are the same fights as as the prison industrial complex. You know, these these are both issues that that we're dealing with because of of a uh, profit so yeah it's it, it's really disgusting that almost every aspect of our government has been privatized <laughs> and is a is now profit-based even i mean the military is become a business with selling they they discuss about making profit and selling tech. like we just sold six billion dollars worth of uh planes and whatnot to saudi arabia mm-hmm. which is uh yeah, and and the the weapons that we're selling and that we're giving to Israel in aid, look at what they're doing to the Palestinians right now. It's um, you know, a, as an activist, I've been tear gas canisters have have fired in my direction um, that are made by the same company that sells the tear gas canisters in Greece and and to the countries that are you know squ- trying to squash the Arab Spring. So it's it comes back to this this military industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about. You know these policies are are these executives are making 20 million dollars a year they have the ear of the government and and war is a business uh i i wish i could have bought stock in the in that business (laughs) i've never bought stock in my fucking life by the way and probably never will i don't even have a credit card which i'm actually thrilled about it used to be like i would date girls and they'd get really fucking annoyed that i didn't have like good credit and now i'm like fuck that i don't want credit well, I mean, credit is what do people need credit for now? It's to buy a house, you know. It's to to constantly upgrade. It's to it's to buy toys and things and and participate in keeping up with the Joneses. And I think um, that whole the social revolution component to what Occupy stands for that anti-consumerist, anti-establishment idea is also one that's that's really important because that you know that has a, a a really big component to social justice insofar as you know where our iPads. Are getting made in these factories where they have to in- install suicide nets because people are are jumping away from the working conditions. You know, really? Yeah. These um, is it Foxtron, Jess? What is, what's what's the company that makes those I- iPads in China? Yeah, I don't I don't know the specifics. <laughs> you can look it up on the internet. On my on my. But, but yeah, I mean these these workers. The products we're buying because capitalism is endlessly going for the cheapest buck. They're going where they don't have worker rights, where they don't have union, uh, you know, human rights in the workplace and all that. So people, yeah, are jumping to their deaths as they as they make us our, our iPads, you know. So it's <laughs> it's kind of worth it though if I can surf the net a little faster. <laughs> What's a couple lives? <laughs> well, yeah, and no, and that's. I mean, the, but that's how. It's like how do these motherfuckers? sleep at night like the Koch brothers i'm like do they meddle in shit that's just so random I, i'm like that like they were desegregating busing in 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 the south and mm-hmm. and i was just like how do you like how does that even affect your bullshit companies like are you just fucking with shit to fuck with shit <laughs> it does seem like there's some evil component to this doesn't it uh it is i i really I don't condone violence, but if anybody ever wanted to take either of those guys out, I would probably laugh for a week. <laughs> you know, it's uh, people have to talk about taking people out. People have started a couple of campaigns, uh, bankers behind bars, jail the bankers, that that sort of of rhetoric. And I, you know, I'm definitely against the guillotine. I'm definitely against imprisoning these executives because to me, that scapegoats a problem onto a person that that is systemic. So, so to talk about taking people out, it's it may it may see it may feel therapeutic uh, to you because you know you want to point to some guy that's that's at fault, and you know it's usually it's some old white man that's at fault. 
But the reality is this system has been oppressing people long before that guy Absolutely. was in charge. So. I agree. I don't really condone the death of them. But like a real vague disease would be pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, and what is what is with the the foreclosure things? Because I'm not fully aware of what that m part of the movement is. Um, well, the, the housing bubble, these subprime mortgages, caused uh, the majority of, of you know the Dow to plunge those thousand points and all that that terror of 2008. Um, everyone's stock portfolio was shrinking rapidly. But um, those components to, to, to that recession, uh, the housing market, the housing bubble that's perpetually growing and bursting, um, <clears throat> that has made millions of homes be underwater and be in danger of foreclosure, uh, and families are getting kicked out into, onto the streets. So we're seeing the policies of Wall Street, the you know the, these buying and selling of derivatives, this really complex financial stuff where they're insuring against their own failure, so they're making money either way. This financial shit, you know, is, is being dumped upon, quote-unquote, Main Street, and families are getting kicked out of their house. So uh, we had a... The first home defense I did was in back in January of 2012, and we were just there for 24 hours. Um, a woman had had to take out a second mortgage on her home to pay for her medical bills because... We don't have universal health care in this country. And that left her, she had a uh, an interest only, s some kind of details where the, the payments went up, so she couldn't afford them. And the sheriffs came in the next day, guns drawn, and kicked her out of her home. So that was back in January. Um, fast forward to today where we have, I think, three ongoing home defense actions in Southern California. Um, one in Van Nuys, one in East Los Angeles, another, I believe, in Anaheim. And we've got a bunch of activists on the ground that have built barricades in front of homes that have really come together as a community, gotten the neighbors involved, gotten the families involved in kind of defending these the families against the banks taking their home by force at gunpoint. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. Like you're really like it's such a great. It's it's very awesome. And, and what's what's really exciting about it is that LA is not the only people that are doing it. Um, we have a lot of connections with folks in Chicago and Detroit, Minneapolis, kind of the center of the country that have been doing these home defense uh, actions for, for several years where, where they have um, whole neighborhoods that are like places that, that all the jobs have been outsourced where there's nothing left. People have kind of re retaken communities house by house and are defending homes and pu putting the unhoused in homes. Um, there's something like seven empty houses for every homeless person in this country. So the people defending the homes, the occupiers, a lot of them themselves are, are are houseless, and they're defending these families, keeping their homes, as well as kind of giving them a community and, and something to defend as well. So it's it's really, really incredible. It's it's fucking perplexing the amount of abundancy we have in this country, and that. Aliens just invaded, and then the abundancy that we have in this country, and how we're just like, ah, go fuck yourselves to the to the the working man, so to speak. Yeah, that American exceptionalism is is fascinating, isn't it? It's um, you know, it's 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 fascinating, but it's also not when you consider where America is kind of historically. Um, I don't think the people in you know the heart of Rome were worried too much about the barbarians outside the gates. I think America is kind of an, an extension of that imperialism and that that Rome was you know and to, to for for the citizens that have everything for us that you and I are both very privileged you know we're living in Los Angeles it, it is hard for for us to to see the other to, to see the person that we're that, that's getting oppressed you know if it's not us you know we're, we're kind of individualistic like that yeah it's a very that that consumerism that has been crammed down our throat seems to be just um, Mike Hedges is like equating our society with. Have you read any of his stuff? He wrote uh, the Empire of Illusion and uh, so. Death of the Liberal Class. But oh, Chris Hedges, yeah. Oh, Chris yeah. Hedges. I yeah. said Mike Hedges, right? Um, yeah, I've read a couple of his things. Yeah, just I mean, he's just saying how we are becoming more and more just blinded and distracted, and like we are, American society is the shadows, Plato's shadows in the cave, and. Like once we step outside of that and sort of we'll we'll be blinded by the. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, Hedges has um, 
he's had some interesting opinions. Uh, his column the past year has been, I feel like, a little lamenting of, of what is going on in this country. Um, and, you know, I agree with him to some extent, but on the, on the other, it's... Uh, I lost my train of thought. He's been. He's been. (laughs) (laughs) It was just an overall. Oh, just it was more Uh, just uh, to the opposite. I lost my train of thought because I'm I'm avoiding talking about what I really want to talk about him because you didn't bring it up. But but you can well you go ahead. Well, he had a really uh, interesting point of view about the black block and and the dissent that was shown up in Oakland um, after January 28th, the moving day up there. Uh The Oakland PD opened fire uh, right about now on a Saturday, broad daylight, on a couple thousand people that were looking to retake a uh, empty building that had been vacant for seven years. So they did this action, and um, Chris Hedges came out very strongly against the people that were had shields and the people that were defending themselves up in Oakland. He was siding with the fuzz, if I can use a 70s expression. Oddly (laughs) enough, it felt that way. Um, And it made it even weirder because he'd written uh, a column previously called, you know, here's to the Greeks. The Greeks get it. You know, what do you do when these capitalists come in and take over your country? You you throw the the bastards out, you riot, you know. So he was, on the one hand, he was kind of uh, celebrating this other in Greece that was, you know, fighting for their rights. But here in America, somehow it wasn't okay with with hedges, that's, but but that's not to say I don't I don't like hedges writing or anything. But but that point was that's was a, making me lose my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> now I lost my train of thought. Uh, but uh, yeah, is that, when you said get your hands dirty, is that kind of what you were talking about with like building blocks and? Yes, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about when when I'm talking about building barricades to keep the sheriffs out. Uh, that. That very visceral, hands-on type of direct action um, is good for many reasons. It's good because you are finally participating in something that's helped, that's that you're actually affecting. You know, I think that goes against. We're not asking for a politician to 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 help these ha- families because they're not. They've shown that. We're not asking for any kind of a nonprofit to come in because these companies have have scammed homeowners and cost them thousands of dollars looking for ways to get loan modifications or anything like that. Um, we're asking for us to do it, you know, the people to do it, to people to, to stand in and, and say that because, you know, there's no one, no one is in our corner right now except us. So I think it does, it's, it behooves us to participate in our own liberation. Yeah, it's, it's weird to me. Well, maybe not really because, but it's how dissent has been. Now it's like, it's almost frowned upon it seems like it's like we're being the, the populace is being constantly trained to like stay in line and it's like what the, the ways of the 60s and stuff like it got totally subverted and now it's just like you fucking dirty but like yeah. how dare you rock the boat and mm-hmm. it's like you're the bottom's gonna drop out soon <laughs> and it's like yeah. we need to fix this shit fast yeah yeah it, it seems to you know since i've become involved with with kind of more more radical politics. It's it's very interesting to see people not understand the fact that we have more people in prison than than China does, or or the fact that this environmental global warming thing is is happening right, and it's because of X Y and Z, and you, and we're burying our heads in the sand over that. Um, we know the drug war doesn't work. You know, we like that has proven by by the very stats and and by examples like Portugal that have decriminalized all drugs. Like we know what works and what doesn't. So what is causing this apathy? What's causing this complacency, this lockstep march to what feels like the grave? <laughs> um, you know, it's a lot of things. Bruce, Bruce Levine, I read, I've read some good stuff by him. Um, I think he's some kind of doctor in the psychological field or something, but he's talked about the reasons for the apathy in Americans' youth. Um, a lot of it, I think, is TV. A lot of it's, you know, the, the big pharmaceutical companies have a, have a huge hand in prescribing you know against dissent right there's now something called oppositional defiant disorder really odd yeah oppositional defiant disorder which they're prescribing these kids medication if they have a problem with authority it's insane you know but it's not to those in power right like this is they're they're breeding a a culture of of complacency it's 
fucking maddening because <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's this, this big because like when you were saying earlier it's like well this woman couldn't pay her mortgage because of her medical bills it's just like they're fucking us in the ass yeah. so many different ways yeah it's we're one perplex- of we're one of the of the few last industrialized countries on earth with no universal health care right so that's just one reason why people ha- are, are mad and not going to take it anymore um another reason is student loan debt it's now a trillion dollars and Meanwhile, other countries have actually funded their education, and their 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 grad students are getting stipends to live while they continue to study. You know, so they're not. It's the opposite of debt. You know, so it's these types of things are are all entry points for people to get mad as hell. You know, and it's it's for for every person, it's kind of very it's a personal. It's I mean, it's amazing to me that there there haven't been more riots or like i mean because it uh, it seems like it's gonna bubble up and something is gonna hopefully not and we could fix it but well i mean we are seeing a lot of riots we're not seeing a lot of riots here in america um uh, yeah that's it. And, and that's that's an interesting i think the dynamics uh in places where the police don't have guns is a lot different than than places where they do and america's police force is heavily militarized i mean la has fucking tanks you know they have helicopters and shotguns and machine guns and all that sort of thing where the cop where the uh, police forces in <clears throat> say Greece for example aren't aren't as heavily armed so i think that dynamic of of physical anger you know that that you would see in the people fighting back the people you know standing up for their rights is it's not as prevalent here because it's not as bad here and and it's it's also not as um you know we're much more heavily policed i guess yeah, L.A. cops scare the shit. Like, I j- there's just something which is intentional, but they fucking really scare the shit out of me. <laughs> L.A., uh, someone was just telling me, I learned, you know, L.A. had the first uh, SWAT component in, in America, the special weapons something and tactics. That's, that's who those guys are. And, <laughs> and Tickle. It's yeah. A, <laughs> that's a little thing they but, don't know. But no, SWAT was formed out of uh, a response of what they perceived a need to quell urban unrest in the form of, of the Black Panther Party. Um, and so, like, SWAT's origins are one of political dissent. The The whole bristling teeth of the LAPD machine is one of, of dissent and policing poor communities and communities of color. So, yeah, they, they terrify me as well. <laughs> <laughs> Did you... Have you dealt with them in your Occupy times? Have you dealt with the cops much? Um, Occupy LA has a very interesting history with the uh, with the police. Um, it was one of the few camps that kind of negotiated with and asked for permission for an actual encampment last uh, fall. So initially, I mean, I think that kept away uh, some more more uh, far left people from from joining because we were wor- working with the state, we were working with the police. But uh, that that dynamic soon ended when 1400 riot cops came in and arrested everyone at the, I, at the end of November. But um since then the cops have uh have been, you know, putting their thumb on us as, as often as they can. They've been arresting people at these home defense foreclosure actions. They've been What do they what do they arrest them for? like what do they say they're doing? Um one of my one of my friends that's involved with that had four or five undercover undercover narcotics officers uh, arrest him for an alleged metro ticket violation. But it's... Are they trumping shit up just to fuck with people? They have spent probably well over what the house is worth in surveilling it and in in arranging two stepped-up 50-plus officer and riot cop escalations. I mean, the, the amount of harassment to try and to try and stop that action has been astounding, but also kind of status quo for the, for, for the last year. The, the police are, are trying to to not let this spread because that's what they're being ordered to do because it's it's dissent. It, it it like that's what when Occupy first started and there was cops and I was like, don't you guys realize this is for you as well? <laughs> like you're working class. Yeah, and that was um. There's actually a video of me from I guess September of 2011, right before Occupy started. Uh, we we're going to some Obama protest or Obama action. Uh, he was having a $36,000 plate fundraiser. $36,000? Maybe it was thirty-five-five or something, but it was right around there. Better come with soup. <laughs> well, yeah, and, you know, let's not forget, this is the guy that is supposedly for for us, right? The, the little guys. But anyways, um, back to cops, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, I, I 
I was coming from a <clears throat> you know middle class background, a white background, so I had no problem with police. And I'm like, yeah, they're part of the ninety nine percent, all that stuff. Um, having kind of opened my eyes a little bit more to the breadth and depth of of, of what this struggle is. I can say that they're not part of the 99%, even though they may make that amount of money. Um, it's it's really come down to who they're serving, who they're protecting, you know, mm-hmm. rather than, yeah, it's affecting their pensions because the capitalists are screwing with them too. But I've seen them time and time again follow orders and follow racist orders and, and, and squash uh, First Amendment rights and all this sort of thing that it's the, – the cops are a bit of a – contentious point <laughs> well put i mean f- fuck the police if if you didn't understand that yeah you said that very articulately i tend to go for the as a uh, will potter referred to me as the uh, foul mouth diver glass <laughs> yeah no i i've given some some cops my earful before but uh, yeah do you uh because it is it is a very thin line of where how you can talk to cops and it's like they just might come up trump up something and well it's not a thin line in how you can talk to cops you can talk to cops however you want um they can react and illegally arrest you which i've seen happen that's what i'm simply talking to people but to get into the cops as 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 the enemy is is a whole long conversation (laughs) um and and one that isn't just about me as an activist it's about the people that are that are policed daily because they're poor like the, the people that are living on skid row that are criminalized for flicking a cigarette butt when a person in a suit isn't, you know? Yeah. So, so like that anger, having worked with, with a lot of the unhoused over the summer with the Central City Association action, which, I mean, they're directly affecting the homeless uh, with their policies and, and the influence they have in City Hall. But the police are, are bastards not only for policing me and my right to protest, but also for, for criminalizing cla- whole classes of people, you know? When, which, which is sobering. <laughs> when yeah, you said what is your background like? Because you said you you said you were working class. Are you a native Los Angeles? Uh, no, I'm from the East Coast. I'm, I'm, oh, that's right. You're yeah, from uh, Connecticut. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I moved um, out here with my former partner. She got into grad school out here, so I've been out in California for about three years. And uh, was your family like politically? Uh no, not really. Oh, yeah, I wasn't either, though. Um, I wasn't really that that political, and up until very recently, I started working with uh, Peace Action West right. last year, um, which was an awesome opportunity to kind of. That's what I was looking for, you know. I was I I've said a couple times about getting my hands dirty, and trying to find a way into that, into actually changing the world. You know, that's kind of what I was looking for, and and Peace Action West was. A step in that direction, working for uh, anti-nuclear stuff, anti-war stuff, um, and and Occupy kind of followed suit, and that was how I got into politics, I guess. Was there did was there anything like any one thing that sort of sparked it, or like um, just a, a slow burn to awareness? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to write about that now because it's very interesting to try and figure that out. What what did spark? me kind of giving up a bed for a sleeping bag you know <laughs> it, it seems uh on the surface it seems crazy that i spent most of the summer living on the sidewalk you know and and nowadays i'm sometimes going behind a barricade to to defend a home right from people with guns like that's it is a big transition i'm not quite sure what what sparked it i think um and then that, that, that's a you jumped in that's i mean from going it's a big commitment, and it's also not to sound like it's commendable. Well, yeah, and and I think a lot of what Occupy represented was that it was a commendable commitment. It was, oh, look at those people, how brave, how heroic. Um, I'd like to smash that idea of being an observer to to that stuff of work. I'd like to convince you to to <laughs> help me. You know? I would like to. I will. <laughs> you know, but but ultimately, it's like, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what has compelled me. To, to do this type of work, and I think all of my my friends, my comrades, you know, as we call each other, uh, have come into this from such a different angle. Um, some people had student loan debt. I was one of those those people. Some people have friends and loved ones in prison. Some people are, you know, had their banks, their homes take their banks and stuff like that. So it's 
I came in as a political science student um, that that kind of looked with jealousy upon the 60s and 70s, um, looking for an outlet for justice, I guess, because there didn't really seem to be any happening. <laughs> so, so Occupy seemed to be kind of an outlet for that, for that energy. And the way uh, it was structured, the, the, the horizontal ways of communication, the these ideas of consensus rather than voting, um, this idea of participatory action, those are all very appealing. So it made it really easy to, to kind of jump in head first, and it, it felt like the most natural thing in the world. That's good. Yeah, I kind of, I was always pretty politically active as a, or aware as a teen and stuff, and I would protest and all that stuff. And uh, but then <clears throat> I kind of <laughs> embarrassingly like pulled out for a while because I was just like, whatever, I'm going to get mine, and spent like a couple years really trying to do that, make the money the showbiz way, and then I just hit a wall because it's like you can't. I, I feel like you can't ignore the bullshit that's going on. And that's, no, you can't ignore it. Because um, it's going to get you. Yeah, I've written a little bit about about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, from having been shot at by cops or and, you know, jailed and arrested and all that sort of thing. And and also the weight of the world, right? Like this this monumental weight that you protested and didn't see a change and hit a wall and gave up because you didn't, you know, the banks weren't crumbling down and people weren't putting down their weapons right like it's it's definitely uh tough for sure but it's um i think it's also it's also bigger because of that social revolution component i talked about like the way we live um not just that we're going to protests and 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 trying to battle against something but we also have to be living for something we have to kind of be prefigurative in how we live and that sort of thing so um since Occupy the Camps ended, I've I've lived in a in a collective, a, a commune of people where you know resources are shared. There's those open horizontal participatory dialogues have continued past the camp, and it's that has also been apparent in these home defenses as well, kind of bringing in the prefigurative idea of resistance while defending a home, so that like it's not as downtrodden because you're working on making those that other world possible while you're resisting. So that that duality of get, you know when you get your hands dirty is really interesting. It must be because I remember you were, when you went home to Connecticut for a while. And I was like, oh, we could talk on the phone there, and you're like, I can't think about Occupy for a couple. And is it's like even with this show, I'm, I feel like I constantly got to be informing myself and blah blah blah. It gets fucking. I mean, sometimes you're just your brain shuts down, and I don't know if you experienced that, but it's yeah, like, I mean, it's. The, the past two weeks, we've had um, a couple of bank marches, a couple of arrests. We've had some home defense things. We've had meetings. We've had Gaza and Palestine erupting. We've had the glo the strike all through Europe. And we've also been organizing this action in solidarity with the Zapatistas. All of this stuff is happening. Every single direction is very – it's a growth opportunity you know, to learn something and all that. But for sure, it's, it's definitely overwhelming. And uh, how – I want to ask two questions. Two questions popped in my head at once. But the, the, with the Israel-Palestine thing, too, I've noticed it's – am I nuts or does it seem like the media is kind of against Israel where it's usually the other way around? It's not – Israel's not coming off very – and I'm like um, – You know, I'm not – I don't really watch the media, I guess. I, I, I try and stay plugged into what's happening but not really the commentary about it. Um, they very well could be showing some dissent. With what Israel's doing, I mean, I, I would, I would hope to God we all yeah. are. Well, my my lefto thought is like, so if the media's not behind Israel, what are we planning? <laughs> it's like, what is down the? Because that's I'm like, are we trying to get? Well, yeah, know the, their elections are coming up, and I'm like, well, this and and this happened what a week after our elections, which means that it was going to happen regardless of who won, regardless of what happened. The the U.S. and Israel have been having war games since the middle of uh, summer. Over this, so this this action is just an extension of that. Um, I don't pretend to know the in intricacies of, of foreign policy or, or what the global plan is, but you know, fascism relies on on perpetual conflict. So, so for the U.S. to be backing Israel in this conflict makes sense for fascism. <laughs> That's just such a 
heavy statement that I had to laugh because it is. It's like, well, I mean, what's your definition of fascism? Just to break down that concept, it's it's not something people often talk about, but it's you know the, the marriage of corporation and state, the fact that these moneyed interests are are controlling our government. I don't think that's that's outside the the realm of definition at all. No, to I call this fascism. How how off the grid do you live? I mean, is it? Do you? I mean, it's interesting because it's like there. I, I would love to chuck this bullshit and disappear. Um, you know, I think we all have those desires, those, <laughs> those escapist desires to to uh, go set up shop. I think a lot of people did. There's there's a lot of hip, uh, communes from the the hippie era that all, you know all around California. Um, someone from the Oakland commune wrote a, an article. To, uh, I think it was called something to the effect of don't move to Oakland. And to me, that's the same sentiment of don't go run off to the hills because we need we need dissent, we need resistance to be everywhere, right, for it to be effective. It can't just be centered in Oakland. It can't be some way off in the hills, you know, as you're singing Kumbaya, dancing around a fire, <laughs> even though that, that is very appealing on some levels, right? So, so maybe you take vacations to the hippie commune, but then come back to, to where you live and, and fight. But I do think... Um, that's an important thing to note. Like, yes, you'd want to run away and go off the grid. This is all terrifying. But but then you're acting from a place of fear, and you're not really helping anyone if you if you take that route. God damn, you're an articulate man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a bumbling moron half the time. <laughs> uh, do you feel That's what happens when you get high before an interview? <laughs> I should have done that. I got shit I got to do though after this, so I can't. I. I'm. I can't speak when I'm stoned. I. Mm. I just get neurotic, and then I'm pretty sure I have cancer. That's not even a, a joke. That's well, the marijuana will help for that if you think you have cancer. <laughs> See, again, it's that spiraling. Uh... Yeah, you want to talk about money and politics and capitalism? That absolutely affects marijuana and the whole the whole drug trade. Yeah, absolutely. You figure how many how many how many uses that natural plant has over the synthetic ones that they control. And I'm not even for legalization. I mean, you have to free the, liberate the whole plant. If they legalize it, they're patenting strains, you know, and they keep it under the commodification of, of a natural resource. So it's, I'm, I mean, everything's political, you know? It's amazing. Yeah, because I, I spoke with two uh, marijuana defense lawyers, and they were saying that it was, Obama has been, his administration has been big on closing down. Yeah, and what did he say before he was president? I don't know. What did he, he say? He said he was for oh me- medical marijuana use. He, he, he said, said a lot of... He said it would be up to the states, but it's not up to him. The system thrives on the drug war because that's a money-making scheme, you know? The, the DEA, FBI, ATF, all these, they get bigger and bigger budgets. What are they going to do? Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how many... Th- like, he also said he would put on comfortable shoes and walk with teachers when they strike and mm-hmm. he uh, nothing out of chicago out of his hometown i know not a word of support yeah not a word and i don't think if, if or from Rahm Emanuel, his his man there was was working on busting them i think if it wasn't close to the elections they would have it would have gone down slightly different but i mean i do too and you know it'll be interesting to see what happens with walmart and black friday this this week as well but i mean the thing with obama and, and false promises is I've I've thanked him before for his monumental failure um, in terms of of his policy making because I voted for him and I gave him money you know four years ago so realizing his failures realizing that he has no power to change what what money ultimately controls that helped me and I think helped a lot of people realize we had to do it ourselves we could not once again rely on some politician you know yeah that is sort of and that's i mean that's what i came away with the first four years is like we i gotta be responsible in every possible thing that i do like how i spend my money blah 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 Mm. and it is and it does make you wonder like how much of it is obama going i'm gonna change thing and then i don't know you aware of the old bill hicks joke where he talks about a guy getting elected president and he's like, I'm going to change this and that and this. And then they bring him into a room and they lower a projector and they show him the Kennedy assassination mm-hmm. from an angle nobody's ever seen. And they're like, any questions? Just what's my agenda? And yeah. I'm like, is that what happens? Yeah. I, uh, I, think I mean, that's might. what I think I it think is. it might actually happen that way. Because <laughs> you look at Jimmy Carter and it's like his post, I mean, he people consider him the human rights president, which is a total load of bullshit because he 
as they said, let's give the Russians or the Soviet Union their own Vietnam with Afghanistan, and they did. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, and then after he's president, he actually goes out and does a lot of things. It's like, you're just, are you just that fucking bogged down by the system? Yeah. Um, I think people are. I think, I think that is, that is why I thank him. It's, it's because we have to, in order to challenge what's, what's actually controlling things, we have to kind of get to the root and the root is not who's in the Oval Office. You know, the root is not who elect, who we think we elect to these offices. The, the root is, is the money that controls them. And the fact that the military companies and all these districts have spread out, so they control, you know, they have come money coming into every congressman, every rep- representative. Um, that type of power is not something we can affect by putting some a different puppet in, in, in the White House. And I think we've... I I have realized it. I don't know whoever this we is, <laughs> but I don't think people have. But but we should talk about it. You know, we should talk about the fact that mo- what does money in politics actually mean? It means what does representative democracy means? Like, can you actually be represented? Can you be represented in a, in a country of three hundred million, or is something like a horizontal way of governance? Does that make more sense? You know, these root questions are actually where where things lie when you put a tent up in <laughs> in front of city hall and and start chanting. Yeah, I do think we need to like that's what I realize like I need to be very careful I, I, where I spend my money because mm-hmm. that to me is like one of the first ways to start it because Coca-Cola when they were doing the death squads in Colombia, I don't know, I'm sure you're aware of that situation. Mm-hmm. That campaign took 1% of their sales out and that's when they started negotiating which 1% sounds like a small amount but it was actually hundreds of millions of dollars and that's when they decided to start uh, up until then and up until their wallet got hit they were like fuck you <laughs> yeah yeah that's definitely uh one of the diversity of tactics that that we can talk about it's um you know there, there's a there's a movement right now called boycott divest sanction specifically with uh israeli corporations that that directly profit off of off of you know increased settlements and and more palestinian tragedies but um Boycotting, divesting, and, and sanctioning just as broad concepts, you know, beyond that conflict. Boycotts have a huge, huge power just to sway. Um, and if we were to, none of us were to shop at Walmart um, on Black Friday in solidarity with the workers trying to earn a living wage and get maybe get benefits, imagine that. If none of us shop there, that would, ha- that would probably work. You know, there's a huge power to where we put our money, for sure. I would also like to explore where we don't put our money vis-a-vis free markets. We've had a couple of these really, really free markets where people bring in stuff. It's like a, a flea market or a tag sale, but everything's free. Um, having neighborhood potluck dinners, these types of things that remove money from the equation are also good in terms of diversity of tactics. But you're absolutely right. Boycotting things, being mindful of of buying perhaps a mom and pop or locally owned coffee instead of a Starbucks or something, you know, that, that would help help people put their money where their mouth is but starbucks is so good <laughs> that's what when people are like I, i'm a i'm a freegan so if starbucks comes my way i'll I'll drink starbucks i like that i never heard that freegan yeah it's pretty awful it's it's what you have to say when you're absolutely penniless and destitute you say you're a freegan and you just eat and drink whatever comes your way oh that's like the, there's buddhist monks who do that like they're and because a lot most monks are vegan but they're mm. like whatever Whatever the community gives us. Relying on the people, yeah. There's something <laughs> nice and karmic about that, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Where do you... Do you see things getting better? Um, I've seen things get better already. It's it's your definition of success, probably, that you'd have to better define. Because I've seen, I've seen people that had alcohol problems start living in a camp of 500 people that were trying to build something special and got off their alcoholism and started learning to read and, and been involved, you know, with things other than themselves for a year now. So to me, that that's getting better. You that's know, it's amazing. And that also shows you the strength of community, which often is used by Republicans in a dirty way. But it is, there is seem, there does seem to be a lack of community mm-hmm. that there was like 20, 30, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's a huge lack of community and, and we're finding that the only place that still exists are, are, poor communities you know that haven't been gentrified that haven't been all commodified and chopped up into tract housing and and, you know 
whitewashed and Americanized into this idea of this sterile American dream. You know, the idea of community uh, is is wildly powerful, I think, with, with Occupy folks and people that resist because it's it's empowering to stand shoulder to shoulder with someone that that is standing there for reasons bigger bigger than both of you know bigger than yourself right it's uh yeah <laughs> it's it's a lot you know it's it, it's a lot um to think about and to, and to to do but i think one of the main components to why i'm why i'm still fighting after a year is you know i'm around people that have been fighting for decades and 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 seeing the struggle that i'm joining and and the amount of the amount of empowerment you get for for standing up for what you believe is is truer you know and more of a just system than what we're currently working with it's it, it's a good feeling so it's you know there's you take strength in that but then you also weep when <laughs> when bad things happen do you what are you like what is sort of your like personal desires and goals like i mean obviously you're probably going to be politically active most of your life do you ever have any like political aspirations i mean you're very uh you're a phenomenal speaker and you're very interesting fellow i mean thank you you could probably sell out and really do some stuff (laughs) um i mean for yourself do some stuff for yourself that's that's and coca-cola well that's (laughs) that's that's the interesting thing um i don't think that's gonna happen Uh, i'm not gonna say that i'm never gonna get a job or something i don't know that seems silly to say but as far as as far as my dreams and aspirations um that's such a big question and fuck you for answering asking that <laughs> uh no i mean that's that's you know that's that's the uh, but you said you were writing too you said i've been writing yeah, I, th- I think i'm writing i think i'm writing a book i think um trying to explain explain exactly what's what's going on here <laughs> but uh I don't know. I don't know. That's a really hard question. Dreams and aspirations. You know, there's there's such... I have uh, taken, you know, career aptitude tests and stuff before, and they've always come back, you know, you can do anything, which is which is a big help, right? I did one in high school, and I'm not even kidding. It said, uh, gift shop manager. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fucking yeah. really? Mine had always tons of options. Well, you're so, clearly smarter than me. Well, uh, yeah, whether that or whether I was just conditioned to do well on that on that standardized test, you know, is, is a whole different conversation. But the doors seem to a lot of doors seem to be opened, and, and I think when I found both the people that I'm around now um, as being some of the most critical thinkers and inspiring people to work with, as well as the work I'm doing to be some of the most fulfilling and satisfying, and and seem to actually matter and have a different and mean it means something um it's i guess it's confusing for me to think about dreams and aspirations and what got me here because what i'm doing now is is so wildly exciting that it seems like any kind of continuation of that any kind of any kind of growth of of this culture of, of resistance would be would be would make me happy has there been uh has there been any companies that like reached out or just like small mom and pop businesses that were like, "Hey, Occupy guys, here's some pizzas." <laughs> uh, yeah. I would imagine you saw a lot of that. We yeah, we've we've had a lot of amazing donations. Um, Occupy Wall Street itself was had more pizza than they knew what to deal with, <laughs> and it was in New York, so that was great pizza. But we've had a, a lot of uh, donations of equipment, a lot of donations of time from musicians and from those really really free markets have also you know. The idea of giving stuff can also be in gifting a skill. So we've had violin lessons, you know, that's pretty awesome. come down and stuff like that, which is awesome. You know, skill sharing like that. Um, that's another reason why, like, it it makes perfect sense for me to be doing what I'm doing is because you see people helping one another, which is you know far more rewarding than than taking and standing in line for. And I do. I think it like it makes. I think a lot of people want to do something but they don't know so you you know what like you guys gave so people are like oh fuck yes thank god there's a a place to go now and Mm -hmm. do something even if it is like a violin lesson which i think is amazing yeah yeah it it, that idea that there's a place to now go and do something is is really important to really think about the the, this idea of the public commons 
that that used to exist um, was kind of re- recreated in these flash encampments all around the country. And finally, people said, "Oh my God, there's this place to go and do something. You know, there's a place to go and talk to random strangers about things that matter." Whereas before, it was impolite and you know, good heavens, if you talk about <laughs> politics or religion at the dinner table, right? And then all of a sudden, this switch happened where there's a place to go in public where there's hundreds of people talking about politics and religion and and where the world is going, all these things that mattered. So it suddenly became very counterculture, and it did provide that space, and then all those spaces were closed. So by the police, you know, by the heavy hand of the state. Um, in L.A., they like to say it was because the grass was dying, but I think you and I both know how silly that is. <laughs> it was... Uh, it provided a place for people to come together, and, and I think um, Occupy as as that we need to certainly do better on offering people entry points into how to how to get involved. But that is kind of if you, uh, I think Hedges may have said it actually. Maybe Hedges or, or David Graeber, but he said Occupy is the only you know democratic thing left in this country right now, which is a really scary thought uh, on one hand, but but also I think inspiring on the other. It is inspiring. Is there any other are there going to be another big camp out situation um or if I, I would think at some point i mean we were not the first camp out situation the the bonus army in i think 1932 camped out in in the national mall in dc um that actually ended with i think a couple of deaths they were trying to get their, <laughs> their money that, that the state promised them but um there's there's been a lot of occupations and and i suspect they will continue i think they'll be about more, I guess, topical things, um, more like about the building, the vacant building in, in Oakland. Um, there's also been a school occupation up in Oakland as well. Uh, we were having a couple of home, I guess, what you would say, occupations, right? Um, I, I think the flash encampments may return. Uh, if you look at the indignados in Spain, they, they saw a return uh, a year later. They saw a massive uh, encampment in the squares in Madrid. Um, to me, it's a tactic that brought us all together and and uh, and introduced a lot of each other to to like who we are what where you know how we can work together and stuff so there's a need to do that again right because hopefully there's more and more people getting involved so maybe some kind of a summer camp uh <laughs> occupy summer camp orientation needs to be invented i don't know that's it and i i'm gonna wrap it up i hope that's cool i want to thank you very much but for your time right on uh uh, is there things that people can look at on the interwebs that might, if they are don't know? I know I follow about six different occupies things on Twitter and uh, yeah. Facebook. In, in, in Los Angeles, it's uh, facebook.com backslash occupy LA. Um, the website, which is needs to be updated more frequently, and I'm at fault for that too, <laughs> but it's occupylosangeles.org. Um there's all and both of those things will get you connected with all the other stuff online. Um, I guess I guess that's about it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Ryan. Rice. Right on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, please donate some money because uh, you know I don't have advertisers and I don't think a lot of people would want to advertise under me, frankly, because I don't say a lot of positive <laughs> corporate things now, do I? But. Uh, uh, you can donate there on the on the. Uh, you can go to my page on feralaudio.com. Conversations with Matt Dwyer. You can donate some money if you can't afford to donate. Buy some shit through the Amazon link. You just go click on that. You buy another TV. Consume. I like that I'm telling you to consume on my benefit. Though at the top of the show, I told you that it's grotesque. <laughs> anyway, but uh, if you have to consume, help me out while you do it. Uh, what? Also, uh, check out the other shows on uh, Feral Audio, Dong T, Brain Warp, and Johnny Pepperton Show, Steve Agee's got a show. Uh, also, follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore Dwyer at Twitter.com. Go to my Tumblr pages, and uh, I'm going to end the show like I often do. Go to my friend Pete O'Neill, who was on one of these episodes. How did the people? Thank you very much.
of the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. <laughs> the NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.